going, Matt? I'm doing well, Jonathan. How are you? Good. Uh, this is going to be episode two of the newly renamed podcast. What's the um, old name? The oh, old I already ma- forgot. <laughs> the old name was The Professors. That's right. Which we said we were pot committed about. That's right. We were resolute. We were bluffing. We were bl- we were going we were going to go with that and we've under duress and protest. There was a little bit of outrage from from a from a vocal a small but vocal minority. And people we respect, smart people we respect. smart people. But well, we have noticed that our students who heard the podcast were all coming up to us and saying, great name, dudes. Yeah, uh, yeah. They all liked it. Yeah, so. They all liked the professors. And in fact, when I told some of my students that we were changing it to Head in the Game. Yeah, we should say that. Head in the Game. Head in the Game. Which we like. Which we like. I think it's good. Yeah, it's good. Um, but when I told some of my students we were, we were changing it to Head in the Game, they were deeply disappointed. <laughs> you know, there is a definite <laughs> generational divide in the yes. way people received this a- name. And to be clear... It was not gender specific. No, not at all. Male, female, right. all liked Professor much better. Young people like it, and you old people who complained, you're old people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're but, like us. But, but since we're one of you, yeah. we... We get it. Yeah, we get it. We get okay, it. so Head in the Game is the new name for the podcast. Uh, we should say you can find us on SoundCloud, Libsyn... And imminently, we hope and assume iTunes. That's right. And some other place that you just told me about. Uh, Stitcher. 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 Thank you. Stitcher, hopefully soon to come. Okay. So so soon we will be everywhere. That's right. That's right. And please spread the word if you like it. And if you don't like it, don't say anything. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, So one other issue. What we want to talk about today is HB2, House Bill 2, the North Carolina, the now notorious... Uh, I dare say, infamous bathroom law. Yeah, well, that's our take on it, certainly. Yeah. Well, I think many people. Yeah, yeah, I would um, agree. Which was passed by the North Carolina State Legislature and signed by Governor Pat McCrory in March uh, and has made North Carolina, I, I think it's fair to say, actually a global pariah. I think so, too. And the focus of a number of and mounting boycotts. That's right. And so what we want to talk today about is Firstly, a little bit about what's been happening in North Carolina and especially focused on the sports boycotts. That's right. We need to make this something of a sports story, right? Yes, That's our of, point. Of North Carolina. And then we want to talk a little bit more historically about other sports boycotts. Right. Um, there's a long and very interesting history of sports leagues, athletes, other organizations becoming involved in politics and specifically boycotting countries, municipalities. Yeah. When the NCAA and then the ACC first said they were going to be pulling their championships from North Carolina, I thought, wow, this is unprecedented. Right. And then 30 seconds later, I said, no, wait a minute. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, there's actually, this and there's right, this right. and there's this. It's, and it's, Yeah. So, so we thought we would talk about some of these that's things. Right. It's quite precedented. Yes, it is right. quite precedented. Yeah. So before, so we're going to get to that in a minute, but I feel like Matt and I need to make a confession, uh, which that? is that we are... We are technologically challenged. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, that's a polite way for saying we're idiots. Oh, you're going to talk about the microphone? I'm going to talk about oh, the microphone. all right. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, because among the feedback we've gotten, uh, which has generally been, been very positive, is that the sound quality is not great. Right. So uh, we're, we're working on it. We are working on that, and we are hopeful and optimistic that in subsequent podcast episodes, 
the sound quality will get better. Yeah, we're waiting for someone to offer a studio. We're waiting for endorsement deals, too, we're frankly, we're right? We're Aren't we? Absolutely. I'm sure it's coming. Uh, no, anytime now. But one of the problems with the last podcast is that Matt bought this really nice, fancy microphone. Yeah, it's nice. That he and I spent a lot of time positioning yeah. in between us and making sure that we were speaking into the microphone properly and all that. And it turned out that in subsequent tests, we found out the microphone was not actually working. That's right. We were just using the <laughs> external just, audio for the, the laptop. external audio from the laptop. And we didn't realize that until after we recorded and posted the first podcast. Yeah, it sure is a pretty microphone, though. <laughs> it's a very nice microphone. Yeah. And um, so we want you to know what, what we're dealing with. That's right. And what you're dealing with. Some of the <laughs> challenges we confront as we try to bring this stellar content to you. Hey, and John, before yes. we get to the HP2, do you think yeah. we need to talk a little bit more about Colin Kaepernick, what we talked about last time? So much has happened yeah. since. Yes, absolutely. So so why don't you start us off, maybe, Matt, and tell me well, what, what, what has made the biggest impression upon you since we last spoke about it? Well, it's obvious that so Kaepernick and his national anthem protest was because of bodies in the streets. And in the last four or five days, we have at least two more bodies in yes, the streets in yes. Tulsa and in Charlotte. And every night, people are protesting slash rioting in in Charlotte. Um, so obviously, the issues that Kaepernick was trying to, you know, bring to the fore, these issues continue. Uh, and in fact, what Kaepernick was protesting, as you pointed out, Matt, we are getting a vivid, a depressingly vivid illustration yes. of precisely what he was upset about. The film coming out of Tulsa is terrifying. Yes. There is film of what happened in Charlotte, but they're not releasing it in Charlotte. Yes, thanks so, to a law passed by the North Carolina legislature again. That's right, foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, yeah. yeah. So, um, and we should say, we should back up and say, Matt and I are both professors at the University of North Carolina, yep. Chapel Hill. Uh, Matt is a professor of sports history I'm in the global studies department, um, and I say this in part because Charlotte is two hours from Chapel Hill, but I think we both feel like it's quite close to home. Sure. Um, that that this nights of protests, dis unrest in the streets of a major North Carolina city is certainly even more on our radar yeah. than it would be than it would be otherwise. And we've had some other athletes um, standing up and. Uh, Aligning themselves with Colin Kaepernick, Richard Sherman, uh, in a press conference the other day, refused to talk football and wanted to talk about what was going on in this country. The 49ers and the Seahawks are playing each other this week. I think it'll be interesting to see what, what Richard Sherman does. I was Did you hear what, what Cam Newton had to say about I this did. yesterday? I did. Do you want to say something about Sure. That? You know, I, I want to like Cam Newton. Yes. Um, I like Cam Newton's game. I like his quarterbacking. I, I actually became kind of a Cam Newton fan last year, not because he was suddenly taking the Panthers to the Super Bowl, but because of all the grief he was getting yes. for for expressing himself in the end zone and dancing in the end zone. It was so many Americans... Because end zone celebrations really are the death of civilization <laughs> Absolutely. As, as we know it. You yeah. know, and you, it's like these, this critique, illegal use of black culture in the end zone, how dare you dance? <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, and it was so ridiculous that all of a sudden I'm on Cam Newton's side. But so Cam Newton being, you know, in some ways the most... Famous person from Charlotte, right? Yes, right now, yes. African American quarterback fair statement, yes. was asked to comment on this, and he was real politic. And and by that I mean he said nothing. He specifically said, you know, if I speak out, I'm going to get criticized. Yes. If I say nothing, 
I'm a tool. I'm a sellout. Well, you know what, Cam? I think you just ought to say something. Well, and let me add to that, Matt. He also, he did weigh in a little bit on what's going on in Charlotte Uh and very much tried to straddle a line. On the one hand, he did say that, of course, there's this real problem with police violence. But on the other hand, he said, you know, we in the black community, we have to learn to treat each other better and take care of our own. And it, well, so that's a little more sensitive than the way I just yeah. I mean, it, I, think. I, I I was of mixed minds about it because I actually last year Cam did make some comments about race. Yeah, yeah, and how he was judged through the prism of race. And I thought he was absolutely correct. Absolutely correct as a black quarterback, and 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 he took a lot of grief for that. Yeah, exactly. I know. So did. so you know, I I think part of what you're describing. Is Cam maybe deciding it's not worth it? It's not worth it. Yeah, maybe a little bit of shell shock from having spoken about about race. Um, Of course, you know, I said Cam Newton is the most famous athlete in Charlotte. That's not really true. The most famous athlete in Charlotte is Michael Jordan, who owns the Charlotte NBA team. And so in some ways, one could say that Cam has taken a page from his playbook. Yeah, and maybe they've been in touch. Maybe they've communicated. I would imagine they are. Sure, sure. So just one more point about uh, Colin Kaepernick. Uh, So... There was a poll this week on ESPN Mm -hmm. among fans um, that revealed that that Colin Kaepernick is now the most unpopular player in the NFL. Meanwhile, his jersey sales are going through the roof. His jersey sales are going through the roof, but he's the most unpopular player in the NFL. So he's clearly, this is the definition of polarizing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Did, Did you see the other poll? Uh, I think it was 40% of NFL fans said if these protests continue, they will stop watching NFL football, to which I say BS. Oh, I was going to say, if Vegas is taking action on that, I will fly there tomorrow and put all my money down on a prop bet that maybe... 5%, 5%, even that's probably too Maybe high. five people. Maybe five people. Yeah. <laughs> okay, more, more to the point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, so, all right, well, we will, I, th- I think we, w- we will continue, actually, to keep an eye on that story. Sure. Um, other players, as you said, on other teams, not just Richard Sherman, but several members of the Miami Dolphins, Kansas City Chiefs. In fact, ESPN... When I logged in, I was traveling on Sunday, but I just I, I went onto the website briefly, and they actually had a link to players who were protesting the anthem today. Interesting, like it was yeah. just almost like a, a, a you know a list, a, right. a stat. List. It's just another stat line. It, yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, it's not just another stat line, yeah. but yeah. but just another stat line, but but a, but an interesting one. It, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm much more interested in this than Warren OPS, yeah, for, for yeah, example. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I'm equally interested in war and OPS. Yeah, <laughs> you and I differ there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. So we want to talk about HB2 today. As I said, the law that was uh, passed in March by the North Carolina State Legislature. Just a little bit of context. And again, Charlotte is very much at the center of this story. Right. Um, because the Charlotte City Council had passed an ordinance that was due to go into effect April 1st that would have essentially stipulated that all bathrooms in public buildings and public accommodations would be open to use based on the preferred gender identity of the individual. Correct. Okay. Um, The North Carolina State Legislature, which has been controlled by an extreme right-wing majority for several years now, raced back into special session 
and in the course of a few hours, rammed through a bill that overturned the Charlotte Ordinance. They were pretty sure they were being strategic. They were pretty sure yes. this was a great idea. Yes, but they went several steps further. They sure did. Right? They didn't just overturn the Charlotte Ordinance. They passed, they included in the law a provision that said that no municipality in North Carolina can pass an ordinance protecting LGBT rights. There was another provision that they passed that had to do with whether you could sue in state courts for other discrimination claims. That's right. That one they actually eventually got right. rid of because that was so outrageous that even they couldn't leave that on the books. That's but right. so, so this is the law that passed in March. So this is bigger. It's much bigger than just a bathroom bill. Much bigger than just a bathroom bill. But there's no question that the bathroom provision yes. is at the heart of the controversy and is the reason for, or a big part of the reason for the boycotts that we're going to be talking That's about. That's right. Yeah. Um, so since that's happened, uh, first, a number of companies, including PayPal, mm -hmm. said we will no longer do business or no longer extend our businesses in North Carolina as long as HB2 is on the books. It's a blatantly discriminatory law. We don't believe in that. We believe in diversity yeah. and so forth and so on. Um, so PayPal... Uh, pulled out of what was supposed to be a several hundred job facility, I believe, in Charlotte. I think maybe the first big sort of cultural moment was when Bruce Springsteen canceled a concert. Yes. I believe you had tickets to that I concert. I had tickets to that concert. Yeah. I am still mad. <laughs> You're and... mad at who? <laughs> I'm mad at everybody. You're mad at you. Gotcha. <laughs> no, I love Bruce Springsteen, yeah. and these are the kinds of things that make me... I love his music, but make me... the, the kinds of things that make me respect him. Yeah. Um, but the, the concert was scheduled for a Sunday in Greensboro in April, and on Friday night he announced, sorry, I can't go. That's right. But I, I remember talking to you about this. You yes. you understood. You were uh, fine. In fact, I, I think you, you applauded his actions. I, I think boycotts are a legitimate political tool. Absolutely. So, um, so this focus on North Carolina and on boycotts has only escalated. So the... In, in July, the NBA, which had its All-Star Game scheduled for Charlotte coincidentally, for February 2017, coincidentally decided that they were going to move the game. That's right. And so they have to New Orleans. In New Orleans. Um, and then I think most consequentially, two weeks ago now, the NCAA, which almost every year uh, hosts uh, first and second round uh, men's college basketball tournament games, March Madness, right. uh, around the state. North Carolina basketball and college basketball is the state sport. Absolutely. No question. Right. Um, and the NCAA announced uh, that due to HB2 and due to a feeling that they could not provide the kind of safe and welcoming and diverse atmosphere that they want to at their sporting events, would be pulling the NCAA basketball tournament out of North Carolina, as well as six other... That's right. Women's soccer, for example. Women's which soccer. Is, which is big here as women's well. Women's lacrosse. Right. Uh, men's Division II baseball. Yeah. Uh, several sports. Several sports pulled. Um, in fact, four of them, I think, were supposed to be hosted by the city of Cary, which is adjacent to Raleigh. Right. And the... Economic impact on Kerry is deemed to be considerable. Sure, and to we'll go back to the NBA All-Star Game, we keep hearing numbers that perhaps, as I'm not sure we believe these numbers, yes. but perhaps as much as $100 million in lost revenue for the city of Charlotte for That's the All-Star right. Game. So the economy of North Carolina is taking a severe hit. Yes, yeah. and, then, and then the final 
um, in some ways maybe the coup de grace was three or four days after the NCAA made its announcement, the ACC, uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference, announced that they would not be holding any championship events in North Carolina as long as HP2 was on the books. And most significantly, I guess, this is the ACC championship football game scheduled yes. for Charlotte yes. in December. Yes, so as that, well as, of course, the ACC basketball tournament, right. which is an enormous yeah, right. event. In That's mo- most significant. The yeah. football game yeah. is most imminent. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so these are all, obviously, highly significant developments, and they really do put sports sort of at the center of the controversy here because they're so high profile right? and because North Carolina um, is such a rabid sports state, especially for college sports. And can you imagine being Governor McCrory right now and thinking to yourself, okay, Bruce Springsteen, this, you know, this, this liberal lefty singer isn't coming here, PayPal, okay, a hundred jobs, whatever, even the NBA, you know, even the NBA going somewhere else. But the NCAA, the ACC, he's got to be going, are you kidding me? Yes. I thought you guys were my guys. You know, I thought we're the same kind of guys. We're white, right. conservative businessmen, and they have turned on him we, quickly. We, we hobnob in luxury box <laughs> suites together. We belong to the same country clubs. Which they, they, Of course, they, they do. He must be losing his mind right now, which he deserves to do. Well, right. We, we, we have no sympathy. <laughs> yeah, that's to be, right. To be clear. Um, and he, you know, look, he passed, he signed this law in March because he's facing a tough re-election fight for governor now in about six weeks. Right. Uh, he is... This is boomeranged on him, I think. Uh, it seems clear yeah. that it is boomeranged on him, but he did, he did it for the most crass political reasons. I know. And he's now paying a price. Now paying the price, right. And this is a rare instance of karma, I would sure. say. Yeah. Well, I was very surprised yeah. when the NBA decided to move. I didn't think it was going to happen this fast. I, I thought maybe ultimately they would move. But I thought if it was going to happen, it was going to be based on pressure coming from the players. You know, I thought maybe LeBron James and Dwayne Wade or Steph Curry, actually. Steph Curry, I thought, was going to be a pivotal figure here. Steph Curry being from Charlotte, of course. Um, His father played for the Charlotte Hornets. Absolutely, Del, Del Curry. But now Steph Curry plays professional basketball in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, the politics out there are way more left-leaning. I think a lot of pressure was going to be put on Steph Curry to actually say something and to maybe threaten an individual boycott of the All-Star game. The NBA MVP maybe not showing up. It didn't even come to this. Yeah, I was surprised too, Matt, that it took place when it did in, in the dead of the summer. Right. I don't know if that was a timing issue, that if they're going to move the All-Star game... They had to do it early, they right. a few months of planning or right. whether there were other factors. One of the things that I think is interesting, and I think this will get us into a little bit more of a discussion about sort of how we think about all this yeah. stuff, is, you know, it's not like the NBA's 30 owners are a bunch of liberal guys. No. And therefore, they're personally outraged by a transgender bathroom law. I, I would and agree with that. So, <laughs> so I think it's interesting that the politics of these sports leagues, at least on these kinds of issues, has moved in the direction that it has. Absolutely. Well, and think about the NCAA. When I think of the NCAA, I think of an incredibly conservative organization. You know, when Title IX was passed, for example, in the 1970s, and all of a sudden the federal government is telling the NCAA and colleges and universities that you have to have gender equity in sports, 
the NCAA absolutely lost their mind. I mean, they said, this law is unreasonable, it's Armageddon-like, it is going to bring about the, the death of college sports. I mean, that's actually what they said. College sports uh -huh. are, are going to be ruined. Nothing could be further from the truth. So I've kind of grown up believing whatever the NCAA says, that's not right. You know, right. whatever they argue is wrong. And on, on a whole set of other issues, which I think we will discuss in a future podcast, which have to do with treatment of players. Sure, sure. Paying uh, players or paying not paying players. players or right. not paying players. We talked about this very briefly at the end of the last podcast. Um, you know, the NCAA is not a forward progressive organization. Well, and so right? I, you, you and I were talking about this. We've expressed a little bit of unease with the idea that social change, you know, look, if we're relying on the NCAA, the ACC, the NFL to get progressive politics, you know, into the mainstream and to sort of undo these these retrograde political ideas, we're in a lot of trouble. We're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, I, I, people have commented that if the NFL is the sort of leading the charge, for example, on domestic violence. <laughs> right. God help us. We have a problem. Yes. Yeah. Um, but so let, let, let's get into some other boycotts then, Matt. You, sure. men you mentioned the NFL. Um, so let me just sort of quickly tick off a couple of more recent examples, sure. and then we, we can dig in a little bit more. So the NFL, of course, carries a lot of weight. Absolutely. And has been willing, again, an interesting context to throw its weight around. So, for example, in 2014, the state of Arizona had passed a one of these religious freedom laws. Freedom to discriminate. Right. Are these, we, these are seen by many. Um, as licenses to discriminate against LGBT folks. The Arizona State Legislature had passed such a bill in 2014. And before Jan Brewer, the former and very right-wing governor of Arizona, mm -hmm. was going to sign or veto the law, a tremendous amount of pressure was brought to bear in the state of Arizona, including the potential for boycott. Right. And among the voices that chimed in then was the NFL, which had a Super Bowl scheduled for Arizona for the beginning of 2015. Sure. And we'll never know because these governors, I actually was doing a little bit of research on this last night, Matt. These governors, especially these Republican governors, when they veto these laws, they never admit that anybody pressured them to no, do No, no, no. Right. It's all principle in exactly. the Constitution. We've always been uneasy with these laws. It, it, sure. Exactly. Yeah. But... It seems reasonable to infer yeah. that if you're facing the possibility that you're going to lose the Super Bowl in nine months, that you might want to think twice about signing one of these laws. Well, then I got a little bit of proof for you. I mean, let's go, let's stay in Arizona and let's go back 25 years ago. The Super Bowl was scheduled for Arizona in 1993. In the mid-1980s, the federal government made Martin Luther King Jr. Day a paid federal holiday, but they refused to acknowledge it. Right. So the NFL, when Arizona made it clear that they were not going to acknowledge this, this holiday, 
they pulled the Super Bowl out in 1993. They were very clear. It was the owner of the Philadelphia Eagles at the time who said, we just can't in good conscience have our Super Bowl in a state that is not going to acknowledge Martin Luther King Jr. And so they pulled it out. The Super Bowl in 93 went to Pasadena, I think. And then a couple of years later, the NFL, it was Paul Tagliabue, Paul Tagliabue who pulled it out and said, well, you can have your, your conversation about MLK without the Super Bowl being a factor. And then so they, they talked about it some more and the NFL sort of made a little noise about, well, we'd be willing to go back to Arizona if you would change the, your, your thoughts on this. So what did they do in Arizona? You know, we changed our mind. We actually do want to honor Dr. Martin Luther King. Now can we have the Super and, Bowl? And perhaps they argue, too, that a few more African Americans have moved to the state. In, <laughs> yeah, in maybe, the maybe, right. <laughs> Justifying. So, and so, right, so now it's a holiday there, and there have been two Super Bowls there. I, to me, this is a clear example of the yes. NFL um, yes. bringing pressure on a state, making them do the right thing. Although, Jonathan, I should say that there is one good thing coming out of the entire Arizona MLK controversy. We do get public enemies by the time I get to Arizona, where Chuck D imagines coming into Arizona to, oh, I don't know, let his displeasure be known. I'm down down to the day deserve a fitting for a king. I'm waiting for the time when I can get to Arizona till my money is spent on a goddamn ring. Neither party is mine, not the jackass or the elephant. 20,000 Nicky Nicky buffers in the corner of the cell block, but they cover California. Population is none in the desert and sun with a gun cracker running things under his thumb. Staring hard at the postcard, isn't it odd and unique? Seeing people smile while in the heat of 120 degrees. Cause I wanna be free. What's a smiling face when the whole state's racist? So. Uh, one other, actually two more more contemporary examples I want to just quickly mention. One is the state of Georgia passed a very similar religious freedom law to right. the one that Jan Brewer vetoed in Arizona. Uh, Georgia has a very conservative governor, Nathan Deal. Um, and Nathan Deal faced pressure from Hollywood. Atlanta is sometimes referred to as the Hollywood of the South. Mm-hmm becoming a big focal point for the film industry. They were making noise, um, but the NFL again weighed in. This is a film industry, by the way, that used to be in North Carolina, but is yes. going is, looking for other places because of the laws that are being passed. That's there. right. So, um, so the NFL again weighed in and said or suggested that the possibility of future Super Bowls being hosted by Georgia would be in jeopardy right. if they pass this law. Same idea, right? And so actually, about two weeks after Pat McCrory signed HB2, Nathan Deal vetoed the law in Georgia. Right. Um, and then just one other I'll mention quickly, which is the uh, in 2015, again, back to the NCAA, um, the NCAA's Final Four was going to take place in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis in 2015. Indiana had passed a another religious freedom, a.k.a. right to discriminate law. Um, and the NCAA, and this was right before the start of the NCAA tournament, right. the NCAA said, we're not sure we can host a Final Four here. Yeah. And the NCAA, is, its headquarters are in Indianapolis, right. as it happens. Yeah. Um, and Mike Pence... Right. Who you may know. I've heard of him. Now it's Donald Trump's running mate. Yeah. Um, who is, of course, the governor of Indiana at the time, who's very conservative and clearly philosophically and ideologically supports all these laws. 
worked with the Indiana State Legislature to dramatically weaken the bill. That's right. So that they would not face the possibility of the NCAA pulling out. Money talks. Money talks. Yeah. Money talks. And these big sports entities have really been throwing their weight around on these social issues in recent years. Well, and I think to bring the story that we started with and what we're talking about now, we started talking about athletes protesting. Again, what's so interesting in all of these excuse me, all of these these moments, is it's not athletes that are forcing these institutions to do this. The institutions are doing it them, themselves. Um, and so when I think of these, these boycotts, I think, let's go way back to, to 1965, when another All-Star game was going to be held in the South. We just talked about the NBA All-Star game in Charlotte. But in 1965, the AFL All-Star game was going to be in New Orleans. And for those of you who are listening and don't know, there used to be something called the AFL, right? The American Football League and the National Football League, two different leagues in the 1960s, basically. And they merged to create the AFC and the NFC within the NFL. And so the AFL All-Star Game was going to be in New Orleans. This would have been January of 1965. Think about how much the South is changing at that time. We get the Civil Rights Act outlawing Jim Crow discrimination in public places in the summer of 1964. A few months, about a year later in the summer of 1965, we're going to get a Voting Rights Act. So the South is being transformed rapidly. This is a time of tremendous um, tumultuousness. And this All-Star Game is going to be in New Orleans, and the players start arriving at the airport, and the black players notice they can't get taxi cabs. Taxi cabs will not pick them up. Um, black airport porters tell them, oh, you need to go around the corner and you need to find a black taxi cab that will take you to your hotel. So they're a little miffed about this, but this is what they do. And then they go out at night and they're told they're not allowed to go into restaurants, even though this is against federal law. Um, they are told that they're not allowed to go into nightclubs on Bourbon Street, you know, even though this is against federal law. And it's, it's Ernie Warlick of the Buffalo Bills who gets a bunch of the black players together. And I think they made up about 25% of the all-star roster then. And they said, we're not going to play, right? So, so Matt, just yeah. to clarify, these are, the game is presumably going to be played on a Sunday. It's right? going to be right. I'm not sure, sure what day, but it's, but, it's, it's going to be in Tulane Stadium. Okay. But, but what you're telling me is that these guys are getting there just days before Yeah, just days. Right. Right. Yeah, so, probably a week before. Week before. And they are just, they, they hit the ground and they are beginning to experience this discrimination. That's right. In, in, the, in the very days and hours leading up to the game. That's absolutely right. Some of them are coming from Buffalo. I don't know what the racial climate is like in Buffalo in 1965, but they don't have legalized Jim Crow discrimination like they do. Well, now it's illegal, of course, yeah, because, yeah. because of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Yeah, and so they get together and they start talking about this, and the black players are unanimous. We are not going to play in this all-star game. We will boycott. There's a little bit of um, conflict with some of the white players. Some of the white players don't agree with this strategy, but some of them do, actually. Enough, you get a critical mass of white players who say, we are going to align ourselves with our colleagues, with our fellow football players. And the AFL quickly responds, and they move the All-Star game to Jepson Stadium in Houston. Just like that. Just like that. Yeah. In a a matter of days. Matter of days, right. Um, our players are not being treated with respect. We're out of here. They booked the ho- they booked the hotels. 
the stadium in Houston wasn't being used, the, presumably. And it's not that far away, right? Not this that is far actually, away. I think, where, where this, well, I guess the Saints yeah. were going to San Antonio. But no, to, to mention, I just mentioned the, the Saints. This was a big deal for the city of New Orleans because they wanted a professional football franchise, mm-hmm. AFL, NFL, mm-hmm. whatever. They're going to get that with the New Orleans Saints, so we know how many. A couple years. A couple later. years later, right. but they had to get their house in order with regards to race. This was a wake-up call. Um, no pro football franchise is going to locate in New Orleans if this is the way the black players are going to going to be treated. So, I mean, th- that to me is a it's a fascinating episode, and one of the things that it's making me think about is. You and I were talking just before we went on air about some of what makes us uneasy about these, the contemporary sports boycotts we're talking about. And you mentioned in part just not wanting the NCAA to be the moral arbiter for anything. Yeah, I like what they're doing, but I'm uneasy living in a society where change comes from the NCAA. So another, I guess, source of unease I have is that it's powerful institutions that have the influence to force other powerful institutions to change their behavior. To sure. Change it. It's not, it's not grassroots. Right. Right. And, and what I'm struck by, and I'm thinking back to our conversation last time, there's this, I don't know, democratic bottom up quality to protest in the 1960s, for example. Yeah. Now I'm going to start sounding nostalgic, but you know the story you just told. The the owners, the league, they they are they are not leading the charge. Not here. at all. It's all about the players. Right, and they're responding right. to this grassroots activism. Yes. Yeah, so, so I just think that's an interesting distinction between a lot of the kind of activism we've talked about yeah. from a half a century ago compared to compared to now. And there's something about that uh, that just makes me makes me uneasy. The other uh, boycott that I think of has to do, and this boy, this is a big one, and this is a story that not a lot of people know, has to do with South Africa and their participation in the Olympic movement in the 1960s. Long story short, if you know your South African history, they had this onerous racial system known as apartheid, which means separateness. This is like the Jim Crow South on steroids. There arose a protest movement in the 1960s um, against South... Well, there's a protest movement against apartheid going further back than that, but against the idea that South Africa should be allowed to participate in international sports, specifically in the Olympic Games. And, in the and to be clear, a global protest. It is a global protest. It really starts in South Africa. A guy named Dennis Brutus leads the charge, and he's a, a, a South African um, who is making the argument that we should be prohibited from participating in international sports. And then it moves to the African nations. And in 1964, enough African nations, these newly independent nations who are sending some tremendous athletes to the Olympic Games, they threatened to boycott the 1964 Olympics in Tokyo if South Africa is allowed to participate. And the IOC, boy, they get pressured quickly and they make a quick decision. South Africa cannot participate in 1964. Um, but they'll be back in 1968. This was just a temporary de- decision. They weren't permanently banned. The same issue arises in 1968. Um, this time, Avery Brundage, who is the head of the, the 
um, used to be head of the United States Olympic Committee. Now he's the head of the International Olympic Committee. You've noted often goes went by the nickname Slavery Brundage. Yeah, he didn't call himself that, right? But (laughs) his I don't right. He he did not give himself that nickname. His racial politics were such that critics called him Slavery Brundage. Um, He was adamant this time. He said South Africa is coming. They are coming if they are the only nation there, and I am the only spectator in the stands. Right. Well, Boy, that would have been a really interesting Olympic. That would have been fun. <laughs> he had to eat those words because we get a, a protest movement, a global protest movement. And let's be clear, it's not coming from like the United States government in 1968. South Africa, with their apartheid policies, they are an ally of the United States. It comes from African athletes again, African and Afro-Caribbean athletes. They're threatening to protest. Um, African-American athletes. Including, I was going to say, the Olympic Project for Human Rights. That's right. Which we talked about last time. Smith and Carlos. Smith and Carlos, that among their agenda items was South Africa. Was South Africa, right. Yes. So they're, when they're talking about boycotting the Olympics, it's not just about U.S. racial politics. It's about South African politics as well. The kicker, and I think the deciding factor in what the IOC is going to eventually do, it's the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union, you know, probably thinking geopolitically here, probably trying to put a little bit of shame onto a key U.S. ally, South Africa, says if South Africa gets to go, we are not coming. You know, we're not coming. Eastern Bloc nations aren't going to come. Um, All those great gymnasts that people like watching, they're not coming. And so the IOC, they have a vote. They respond to these threats. And South Africa is permanently banished from the Olympic movement until they reform their apartheid policies. Uh, they're eventually let back in 1992 then, when they've done Decades that. later. Decades later, right. yeah. Well, and Matt, I, I've heard you lecture on this a couple of times on the the global boycott of South African sports extended, of course, beyond the Olympics. Yeah, to these, these rugby tours. To these rugby tours, which, of course, is, is the national sport of South Africa. That's right. And maybe just talk a little bit, because I just find this story so fascinating, about a tour that had been organized for the South African national team to visit England. Yeah, in 1970. In 1970. Yeah. Um, and the incredible uh, protests unanticipated that they faced when they arrived in the sure. country. Yeah, so the, the South African national rugby team is the Springbok team, Springbok being a, an, antelope, an antelope-like animal in South Africa. And for white South Africans, at least at, at, at this time, the Springboks were the athletic representation of their their country. And so, you know, there was this, this rugby network. You had South Africa, you had England, you had Australia, you had New Zealand. I mean, these were the big rugby nations. And so in 1970, the Springboks are going on a tour of England. So look, if you're in England and you oppose the government of South Africa, what can you really do? You can't go to South Africa and protest, right? They're never going to let you in. But here comes a manifestation of the South African government. So the students, uh, anti-apartheid activists, they do everything. They, They do everything to disrupt this tour. They run onto the field and they throw tacks and shards of glass all over the field. You, know, you will not play rugby here. The Springboks will not play here in England. They release moles 
into the stadium and hope that the turf is going to be torn up. Uh, one guy actually poses as the bus driver of the South African Springboks, and he drives them way out into a field, <laughs> and he just leaves them. That, they, that, that's, they, that's my favorite story. <laughs> they, yeah, no, they, you know, it becomes kind of glue in the keyhole kind of stuff because it literally is glue in the keyholes. They go to their hotel rooms and they put glue in the keyholes so that so the players can't get out of their hotels. The 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 tour is such a disaster. The South African players are upfront about this. They made these protesters made our life miserable. They didn't go back to England until the apartheid um, regime fell. And then the same thing happens in Australia, and it happens in New Zealand. Everywhere these players go, they are met with grassroots activism, and it kind of you know raises the question. You, you and I were talking about this before. You know, does it matter, right? I mean, do, do, does does any of this have an right. uh, an effect? Right. Well, there was a poll taken in South Africa in 1977 among white South Africans, and they listed their pariah status in international sports, the fact that they were not allowed to participate in the Olympic Games, as one of, from their opinion, the three greatest drawbacks to the apartheid system. Now. Had you asked black South Africans to, you know, yes. rank all of the drawbacks, I don't think international sports was going to be, <laughs> high, on be that high on the list. Yeah, right. but they right. missed participating in the Olympic Games. You know, did it have an effect? How can we tell? Well, and I was going to say that's one of those things that it's it's hard to quantify. Yeah. Right. And you can't say that there's a clear cause and effect relationship between one thing and the other when it comes to these sorts of actions. But there's no question that people experience these as real losses. Yeah. Um, and they experience them, I would say, as kind of hits to their identity. Yeah. And but I think that's... No, uh, I, I totally agree. And yeah, so I'm not yeah, disagreeing. Yeah, yeah. But think about then this society that we live in. You know, not enough people are upset when this law is passed, this discriminatory law. But, oh, wait a minute, I don't get to watch college basketball? You know, in some ways, we're, we're, we're applauding what's happening here, but what an indictment on the, the society that we live in. Yeah, well, I, I, I agree. I, I think what I would say is that if we're being honest about how social change takes place, yeah, right, it takes place when people start to feel, at least in part, when people start to feel like they are being affected sure, in clear sure. and personal ways. I think that's a great, great because point. Because in the abstract, we can be sympathetic and whatever, but yeah. we, we too often, we don't really have the time to care that much yeah. um, until it touches on, on our lives. Well, it'll be really interesting to see if this does have a noticeable effect come November. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that is definitely something that we will... We will follow up on. Okay, well, this was fun, Matt. Um, episode two in the books. Head in the game. Head in the game. That's right. Uh, and we will be back very soon with another new episode again of Head in the Game. Sounds good. <laughs>